You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7pm. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Jedrune Vitaite, co-founder of Women Go Tech from Lithuania. Political Periscope. What is this uh, initiative project, Women Go Tech? Women Go Tech is the program offering several different programs, I'd say, um, is uh, for women who are adult and are willing to requalify to technology sector. They don't know what to do, where to go. So we offer several things. One is the program Discovery that helps them to generally understand what tech is and is it for me. And the other program is Acceleration. When I decide that I found a perfect spot for me, how do I get to tech and how do I get my first job in tech. It's a mentorship program that helps women to feel stronger in their journey and come to the technology sector. Um, so that's basically what we are doing. And we helped more than 600 women in Lithuania uh, to get their first job in tech and requalify successfully. Where does the idea come from? Oh, idea is very simple. It's usually personal stories. So I started, I graduated economics, but I work in tech for more than 10 years myself. And I never met women who would be in the hardware industries, telecom industries. So I wanted to change that. And with like-minded individuals, we created this program that is supporting women who potentially studied different things like philology, social sciences, economy, whatever, right? To consider technology as their future career path, regardless of their age, education, social background. And this year is very interesting for us because this is the first year where we expand in the region. We come to Poland, we come to uh, Baltics, we come to Ukraine and Ukrainian women and we support everybody to consider technology as their career path because, you know, Uh, eventually, we change our pro specialties and professions more than once in a career, professional career. And it's very nice to see different women um, actually finding themselves in tech uh, after maybe 20 years of a different career elsewhere. It is often mentioned that uh, the lack of women in the STEM sector uh, is one of the causes of uh, difference in uh, in payment, uh, in income between women and men. Uh, do you think it is one of the reasons and uh, what can we do about it? Actually, uh, based on the uh, researches and the different, um, different uh, papers, we see that um, actually the difference, the payment gap in ICT industry, which means IT, communications, is the lowest uh, when it comes to men and women. Uh, it's still there, which we are not very happy about and uh, definitely need to work more uh, to close this gap. But uh, it's lower than in, in other industries. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, women find more courage to step into tech. It's also um, very often uh, the workplace where you can work remotely, have flexible hours, which also is uh, 
very interesting when you are raising kids, when you want to get back to the job slowly or have a different uh, different um, workplace where you want to um, work remotely from. So these kind of, um, there are lots of advantages that I would say are interesting for women in tech, but are not seen because it's uh, it's made like uh, a known box. Uh, and, uh, and there is a common misconception that tech is only programming, front-end, back-end, full-stack, and something like that, specialist that I would be. But no, uh, the industry is changing rapidly. There are lots of professions that are not directly related with uh, programming, but require logical thinking. Even IT project management requires certain skills where lots of women are requalifying successfully and pretty fast just to start understanding it. So I think this is, I encourage everyone to just think differently when we think about tech. Don't only think that I would be sitting by the computer with a uh, not so you know um, nice uh, sweater um, and uh, somewhere in the garage. No, it's vice versa. We need different skill sets right now because most of the companies are tech companies most of organizations are tech organizations nowadays so we just need to start understanding how it works uh, in order to continue be competitive right now the probably the hottest topic is the ai and how it is changing different uh, fields of our lives especially the tech industry uh, because it's probably going to replace many people Uh, yes, of course, um, it's it's hot everywhere, uh, but it's also it's also a good accelerator for everyone. Um, I think tech is. Um very interesting field because what kind of specialties we have today we might not have them in five years in ten years and AI is one of the accelerators that are right now supporting us to rethink what it is that we can optimize what it is that we can make effective today in my company I also work in tech uh, of course quality assurance specialists are using uh, ChatGPT tools to improve their codes, uh, to find the mistakes and so on. Are they not needed? No, they are needed in the company, but their work is going to be uh, less uh, manual, maybe, uh, with less mistakes. Um, so they had the tools before, but they were maybe not so efficient and so on, but they uh, they do have them in one place right now. Of course, they will have to learn how to work with them, uh, how to benefit from them. And uh, most probably we will because uh, there's a there's a big question whether we will lose jobs because of AI, right? Most probably we will create hundreds of new specialties and hundreds of new jobs uh, thanks to AI. So I think um, we just have to change the narrative and uh, instead of seeing it as a danger, we need to look in what it is, how we can use it uh, to make uh, our work more meaningful and, uh, and more interesting in terms of innovations, in terms of thinking about new ideas, right? What it is that we are missing out here rather than being a machine uh, to automate things which uh, you know ideally shouldn't even be uh, our task we are here at the congress and uh, the local government freezes uh, congress so how can technology how can ai transform and help um, developing uh, relations uh, cooperation in the Free Seas Initiative region? Yeah, I think uh, this region is, um, as, as I was talking in the panel as well, the risk region is very interesting in, interesting in terms of tech development. This region is super powerful. It's a huge region in terms of the talent pool. Uh, 
however, we're facing challenges. We're facing challenges of uh, having uh, uh, tal enough talents to satisfy the need of our companies. We, we're facing the challenge in educational systems and how to make sure that we're focused on innovation rather than mass production, right? Or uh, giant companies focusing on less added value projects and uh, initiatives. So I think the region has a lot to uh, to to focus on in terms of collaborating and sharing ideas, share, sharing exchanges, building the platforms for businesses to meet, uh, for different organizations to meet and join the forces. Because if uh, in order to scale various projects, even looking from women go tech perspective, right? How do we make sure that what we do well in Baltics, we transfer to Poland, to Czech Republic and so on. We might... Uh, benefit from lots of things that we have already done, but uh, but we need the place where we uh, uh, where we exchange our ideas and the successful projects, mistakes, and we put it to a very very different scale. Because region, frank frankly speaking, if we want to be competitive in the global arena. We have to run very fast um, in order to be more innovative than the Silicon Valley or as innovative as the Silicon Valley. We have to be very, very fast. And that comes um, when we are trying not to reinvent the wheel, when we are actually sharing what we know the best, when we join the most uh, successful industries of our countries into one pot and then we try to cheat, uh, teach each other, right? When we try to um, to find what we are not doing yet right and uh, And, and benefit from the neighbors and the friends rather than trying to protect our own you know, castle uh, and, and still imitate the collaboration. So, so I think this, this uh, Three Seas Initiative um, in general is a perfect pool for everyone to meet. It can be more known in some of the markets because it's not as known as, um, as uh, in Poland, right, uh, elsewhere. And I think um, it, it is a good foundation uh, to, to start advancement. Exactly. How to build a bridge over this competitiveness uh, to make cooperation possible? I'd say it's a human nature, normal, uh, right? Everyone wants to be a winner, and uh, and also we have the nationalistic, uh, you know, um, eagerness to to be perfect or better than the others, which is very normal. But I would say very simply, once you put the people in the same room and let them spend more and more and more time. Uh, brilliant cooperation ideas come, and then we, uh, I think. Uh, Even the successful business expansions uh, come when not because not only because we see market potential, but because we have the right people to do business in another market. When you look into a very successful vintage idea, right, um, uh, which is a unicorn of Lithuania, and when you ask them, so why have you chosen the first markets to expand, for example, Germany, right, or um, uh, Then you find the real people's stories. Oh, because I knew a person there and there. And uh, there was a trust. There was a belief in each other. And that's how we build our uh, huge market. So, uh, so when we put the people in one room and we, uh, and we encourage them to share ideas, we encourage them to talk about the problems, about the challenges, about the potential solutions. I'm sure that maybe not from the first uh, time, but for after several iterations, you start seeing the benefits. You start seeing the collaboration. And this is how it happens, regardless if it's NGO, 
if it's uh, if it's governments or uh, or businesses, because uh, frankly speaking, we're not that bright. We don't have so many different uh, ideas, and there is no way to protect them. But um, once we try to collaborate and innovate, we might get to a very different point. When we think about uh, high tech, uh, we think about. Uh, cybernetics we think about uh, dig digitalization in especially in central europe we, we think about estonia we think about finland but not necessarily about lithuania is it uh, some uh, wrong idea I wouldn't say so. Uh, Lithuanians have one challenge. We don't uh, really like or know how to speak loud about ourselves. So we are secretly doing things and uh, uh, trying to be a bit too modest in uh, in what we do uh, and uh, and maybe not that vocal in being proud of what we do because um, it, it might be that a small market uh, mentality is still too deep in our roots and uh, Lithuania when I travel quite a lot and speak uh, speak a lot has fantastic examples in terms of uh, digitalization of all the things, government, on services, um, on the fastest internet, and then and these kind of things that we take it as a, for granted. This is uh, Lithuanian thinking. We just think that that's how it should be. And uh, this is our standard. So we don't, really, um, we don't really talk about it because we think it's normal. And once we get out of our system, right, then we notice that it is not and it is not so common. So, uh, so it's, um, I would say Baltic region in general is, uh, is very progressive. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, we do have very similar levels. We are the biggest competitors, I'd say, when, when you look into the, you know, to the markets. But um, uh, so, so it is worth to look at. Uh, and, and we take, uh, take examples from our Nordic uh, partners. We, but, uh, but I don't, um, I don't want to say that, you know, we're very, very far, I guess, Central and Eastern Europe and three C's initiative markets are, are, are more or less um, similar in terms of what they can do and how, how much they can still advance. Right now, the geopolitical situation is quite difficult, um, especially in case of Lithuania. You decided to end close relations with China and China is one of the biggest markets uh, in tech sector. How do you cope with this? Uh, yeah, so I think um, for Lithuania, uh, China wasn't such a big partner in general in uh, uh, in our trade. Uh, so it was like uh, one to four the ratio, right? We uh, we imported um, uh, more than we exported to to China, and I think that was one of the uh, reasons why uh, we had more courage to speak up in the global arena. So Lithuania was quite firm about what it is right and what it is not. We see ourselves a big potential in other markets that do have technologies. Our Even the current investments from um, uh, from the region and to the region are increasing. And um, and um, that, that certain periods of time were challenging. <laughs> we shall face, I work in technology, uh, when Lithuania was deleted from the custom systems, that wasn't very fun uh, for the period of time. But I think what we need to, um, and what Lithuania's role is, as it was the role for quite many years to tell about the... Uh, dangerous neighbor 
Russia. This is Lithuanian's role right now in the world to also pay attention to the domination of our dangerous, but not so neighbor, right, um, uh, a bit further in the east. So, so for us, um, we have the history that taught us lessons, and uh, we feel brave enough to pay attention to certain players that uh, that show the track record of certain behaviors that we wouldn't like to see in the future of the world. You mentioned Russia. There is one topic related to Russia, related to current war, to Russian aggression in Ukraine, uh, which really touches the tech sector. Many Russians fleeing from Putin's regime are trying to come to Europe or coming to Europe, um, especially last year. Um, what do you think we should do about them? Should we accept them? Should we let them work uh, for us? Especially I'm talking about programmers, I'm talking about people from tech sector, or should they just stay in Russia? Um, there is no definite, easy definite answer, right? If people are running away and uh, from the uh, um, from the I'd say uh, oppressions in their market, we we accept to Lithuania, well, Russians, we accept also Russians with a true example that they have to run away. I think. Um, our perspective, and my personal, I would say, perspective is that uh, these people should not run to a more rich market to have a safe safe spot. Uh, there is a very difficult and dangerous enemy inside the country. And what we need, we need the nation to go to the street. We need the nation to fight against. And we need the nation to speak up what is the future for themselves that they really, really want. And um, I know it's radical suggestion. I know it is um, It is not that easy when uh, so many of them are imprisoned, when so many of them are, um, are put under the bars. But... Uh, we just think from Lithuanian example, when we had to go into the streets, when we had to stand up, the bigger the crowd, the less powerful the enemy is. And since we don't have a significant crowd today, that's why the entire world is still facing certain enemies. So I'm more categoric uh, in terms of, um, I'd say, economic uh, migrants who are who are not in uh, who are not in danger in their own country and are trying to just secure the safer life when there is a different role what the, that kind of generation should do today. There are in general, I think, two tendencies in looking on tech, on technology. One that we are going to live in some dystopia like Matrix, and uh, the other promising rather good future. Which side do you stand on? <laughs> oh, for that, I have a very interesting example. I had one panel to, uh, um, to moderate, and in that panel, I had the Archbishop of Vilnius participating in it and talking about the the role of technology in terms of the church development, etc. But um, I would uh, I would still I would say his um, interesting ideas what he shared, and I support them. That um, we shouldn't be afraid of tech going to the right or to the wrong side. Uh, if we paid enough attention to work with a human moral, uh, as people, you know, they can be raised in order, like they can be raised to. Uh, encourage positive values to to live 
um, in, uh, in welfare and support each other. And there are people who, thanks to different educations or, or struggles that they had, unfortunately, they do kill. And what we need to make sure that we work with our kids, with our families, with the educational systems to teach the fundamentals of human values and morals and the tools, how we are creating things, thanks to technology, then would not be dangerous to us, right? Um, still, the human being creates technology and um, works with the technology, and as long as we are open about it, uh, as long as we are open about the threats we might um, we might have, uh, and uh, we uh, we try to find solutions for them, uh, technology isn't going to be something that um, you know uh, creates a dangerous matrix life for us. But if we are not. If we do not pay attention to this and if we uh, misbehave ourselves, we are going to create a world that is going to fight uh, or be danger for ourselves as well. So I wouldn't say it's up to technology. It's up to the human moral to uh, find the best way forward thanks to the technological tools and innovations. Thank you very much. Thank you for the interview. This was The Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 